the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Rescuers, the show about people who change and save lives. Now, here's your host, Art Brooks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Rescuers radio show. Heard every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. on Faith Talk 1360 and faithtalk1360.com. And please go to our website, rescuersradioshow.org, where you can hear all of the shows on podcast. And, you know, this is a listener-supported uh, show, so if you have a, an inkling for that, you can figure that out on the website as well. It's always welcome. But, uh, gosh, I ha- this is a thrill for me uh, to have as our 200th guest for Rescuers Radio, one of America's best radio and TV broadcasters over decades and decades, uh, of <laughs> Gary Bender. Hi, Gary. Hey, Arch, you didn't have to say that. That's <laughs> a slip. I didn't mean to say no, that. No, it's okay. Hey, this is an impressive setup you've got here. I'm impressed. <laughs> well, it takes a lot to do that with you. You've seen the best. So um, welcome, Gary, to, to the show. Before we uh, dive into your dynamic background, uh, I want you to share for our audience who doesn't ever have a chance to re- uh, meet you personally – Uh, Tell us about your background. How did you get to this point in your life? (laughs) Well, you know, it's humbling (laughs) to go back and recapture what happened to me. I've often said I was the poster boy that you'd put on the wall that, no, this guy can't be in radio, television. It just doesn't compute. I grew up on a farm way out in western Kansas on the Colorado line, and my dad had been a coach, and I was into sports, but all of a sudden I was 40 miles from any town, on a farm, on a tractor, day by day by day. And so the only way I could survive those long, hot summers was to make up ball games. Mm. So I'd act like I was in Yankee Stadium, the Orange Bowl, or the Los Angeles Coliseum. I'd sing the national anthem. I did all the commercials. Remember the Gillette one? Look sharp. Yes, be sharp. I won't go. I (laughs) I don't want to drive your audience out of here. But uh, that was where it began. I've been doing this for 50-some years. Oh, and I just worked my way up from a little radio station after getting my master's degree. And, you know, I look back, and uh, I was blessed. I mean, it was amazing each step of the way. 
you know, God and his sovereignty had yeah. really opened some doors for me. That's how I got here in this radio business. <laughs> I <here>. understand. <laughs> it's a true calling, you know, and when it, when it is, you do it. <laughs> but I want you to know time was not a factor on that tractor. I could go all day long. If I had an extra round I had to go, I'd go into overtime or sudden death. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, um uh, for, you know, for many years, you you were the TV voice of the Phoenix Suns basketball team, and uh, you loved that, right? Well, that was kind of a bonus. Um, yeah. I was doing just the home games and didn't do the road games, yeah. and Jerry Colangelo came to me and asked me if I would do it, and I was working at that time for, or for TNT, and uh, I said, I'll do it for a year. <laughs> and I did it for 18 years, worked with some amazing people was there during, you know, the great years. We didn't win it all, but we had great basketball teams. So that was kind of an add-on for me. So uh, I don't know where to go with this. I do where we're going. But uh, you were in radio, but mostly TV. Yeah, I started in radio. I started in Hutchinson, Kansas, a little 1,000-watt radio station, and then Eventually got to TV, became a voice of the Jayhawks, then went to Wisconsin, and it was a voice of the Packers, and that was a big breakthrough for me. And then I got hired to go to the network from there. Wow. So I, let's let's open that door. Um, you know, uh, you've witnessed in sports history in America a lot, a yes. lot of uh, worldwide things America, all over America. Uh, we don't have time to go through every step and every one, but uh, we're going to open the door and take it wherever you want to go. But some, I'd like for our audience to, uh, if you could share some of your most favorite spots and with John Madden, Goat, Michael Jordan, uh, the Packers, you have already mentioned, Olympics, networks. Let's just go down that road and see what pops here. Well, you know, it's interesting. There are four or five things I think about. My first year at the network was way back in 1975 with CBS. And I did the Hail Mary game when Roger Staubach hit Drew Pearson with a 50-yard touchdown pass with seconds left. It was a purple people leaders against the doomsday defense. And Staubach threw that touchdown pass, the first of many Hail Marys. Then I did a couple of Final Fours. You mentioned Michael Jordan. He hit the shot as a freshman. North Carolina won the championship over Georgetown. The next year, I did the North Carolina State and Houston game when Lorenzo Charles came for the baseline with a shot heard around the world. Those are the kind of events I remember most. Probably the thing that I'm most proud of, though, was some things I did at the Olympics, like speed skating, probably... Your listeners don't even know I did that. But I was there when Dan Jansen went through that oh, terrible time with yeah. his sister and fell and didn't uh, achieve the gold medal. Yeah. Those are things I think of. There's, I did 29 different sports. Not well. <laughs> <laughs> and some of them were not very good, like wrist wrestling and shark taggings and the Battle of the NFL Cheerleaders, which my wife really loved that one. <laughs> So, uh, my gosh, I mean, there's you partnered, partnered up with some amazing people. Well, I worked with the Giants of the business. Yeah. You mentioned John Madden. John Madden. I, I coached John Madden. He came to CBS. 
It's really funny. We became a best of friends, and he was uh, sitting in his backyard with his two bulldogs one day, and his wife, Virginia, came in and said, is this what you're going to do the rest of your life, just sit in the backyard? I'm going to get you a job. So she called CBS, and they wanted me as a – I was kind of known as a coach to coach him. So I started coaching the coach, and it wasn't easy. He was struggling. He couldn't have people talk to him in his headset. He was always, you know, the guy in charge, and he had a producer, director telling him what to do. And so there were times when I thought, this isn't working. Mm. But boy, all of a sudden it clicked. And, of course, he became a legend. And I uh, I could tell story after story about <laughs> Bang, him. Boom. Oh, yeah. Well, he knocked my glasses out of the front of a press box in Philadelphia talking with his hands. And... Uh, I had to get somebody out of the booth, go down, get my glasses so I could see the rest of the game. <laughs> and he bust everywhere, right? <laughs> he did at that time. Actually, that time, Art, he was on a train. Oh, he started okay. in a train, and he'd be <laughs> we'd do a game in the East, and I'd be back in Phoenix, and two in the morning I'd get a call. Hey, Garrett, this is Coach. He says, what's going on out there? He didn't know what was going on. He'd get home to Oakland where he lived. And then he'd get on the train and meet me for the next game. I'm gonna I'm gonna fade away here for just a moment. Uh, I have a message for our audience. Uh, if you came late into the Rescuer Show, my guest is Gary Bender, uh, co-author of Call of the Game, and one of the greatest sports bar- broadcasters uh, ever around that I've known. And um, and so. Talking about all of those things, you you happened to mention, you know, you were around some great, great athletes. Yeah. And Reggie Jackson, uh, what about, um, we know I mentioned Michael, but. I think, well, the first guy I worked with was Johnny Unitas. Johnny Unitas, yeah. I, I love the guy. I was just a kid. Well, now, wait a minute. <laughs> no. You notice I paused there for a moment. You should have I got it. to know Unitas. That was quite a look. Yeah. <laughs> Unitas was great. I mean, I love the guy dearly. I worked my first two years in network with him. I had Sonny Jurgensen I worked with. I, I worked with guys who were household names. Yeah. I always felt like this, that I was kind of hanging under their coattails. They were good. I was good. Yeah. If they were very good, that was hard for me to recover and be able to, you know, have the success we wanted. They were all so different, Art. Yeah. Every one of them was like starting over trying to get to know them. Yeah. One of the reasons I think I was a coach, I was a good listener. Yeah. And I'd listen to them before the broadcast, after the broadcast, spend time with them to develop their confidence. I remember Bill Russell, who I worked with one time. He was a, he was a challenge. <laughs> and we became the best of friends. But I was in New York getting ready to do a basketball game at Madison Square Garden, and I'm telling him how I want to do this and I want to do that, and I'm so excited about working with you, Mr. Russell, and all that. And he was drinking a glass of orange juice, and he put it down, and he said, stop. He put his big hand up. You know how big his hand is? And he said, you can't say that. You don't know me well enough. Whoa. And it was something I've always remembered, Art. Yeah. You have to earn the right to say things yes. to certain people. Yes. And that's what I did as I was coaching some of these guys. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's a lot of highs in your life. Mm-hmm. What about the lows? Well, I went through a terrible time. Um, I had somebody that wanted my job, and I won't go into names. I don't want to name okay. them. 
but he hired somebody to take me down, brought in the really? paper, USA Today. Oh, boy. And every week I got the Oops of the Week award, you know, criticized. And I must tell you, it really affected my broadcasting for a while. I finally recovered as a Christian, you know, to, nice. to cast all your anxiety on the Lord. And I was able then to move on, recover from that. That was a low. But, you know, I didn't have a lot of lows. I, uh, I had people who were around me who I enjoyed immensely. Mm-hmm. I, I draw strength from people. I'm a people person. And if I can be around them, I can usually recover quickly. Yeah, I, I'm I'm the same way. Uh, I, I I love being around people, but um, my wife Dinah and I, uh, in 2005, started a ministry called Christians in Media, and you were the, our speaker that day. Do you remember what you talked about? No, I have the I, I have I have I the mean, title here. Probably the same speech I'd given several times. What is your assurance? Oh yeah. Yeah, and it captivated. See, we we this this had never been done before. Oh, I didn't know that. No, and so we prayed over it, prayed over it, and we thought, you know what? I we we have so many uh, employees and radio, TV stations. They're Christians, but they can't talk about it. Yeah, if some of them did, they'd be fired. Well, and I think it's gotten worse. Um, you know, I had an opportunity to share a lot. No one at CBS or ABC told me I couldn't do it. I think there was some uh, backlash I wasn't aware of, but I didn't let it bother me, and I continued on. Yeah. And people knew where I was coming from. And once they knew that, yeah. it, it was kind of refreshing to be able to go out and, and to witness as much as I could. But I started as early time giving my testimony and I remember I wasn't very good. I mean, I'd come off of the podium sweating bullets and thinking to myself, boy, God will never use that one. <laughs> but it was so interesting. He used it in spite of me. Oh, yeah. I, I'm teaching a Sunday school class right now, and I, I wasn't feeling well Sunday. And I told my wife, Linda, I said, man, I don't think that was very good. She says, well, nobody knew that. So there's, you know, God can use you in ways when you aren't feeling right or when you don't think you articulate something well. That's really a relief in my life. So I don't know how good I was that day, Art. Don't bring up all the mistakes I made. Well, do you remember what happened that day? I don't. You were on the way to a hospital. Is that the day I went in? You had an aneurysm. I had. That was the time? Yes. I now remember this. Yes. Do you know and you that told, was life-threatening at we were, that time. We were praying before we went into the I lunch. I forgotten that. And you said, I, I'm, I'm afraid to even mention this. Yeah. I, I don't know if I should or not. I got chills right now. Well, You, you obviously, in your talk, decided to, to go forward with that. Yeah, let me tell you what's interesting. It was a, I had a, the aneurysm in my brain, so they had to do what they call a craniotomy. They open up your skull and go in and clip them. And it was a process, and I had the best doctor in the world out of Barrows. And so just before I went in, one of my very close friends, a doctor by the name of Travis Holcomb, was with me. And he was kind of orchestrating everything. They had me on the gurney. I was going to go in for this surgery, which was life-threatening. And he turned to me, and he put his face down in front of me, and he said, Gary, he says, when you wake up, you're either going to see this ugly face of mine or the face of Jesus Christ. I remember that. I remember you telling that story. 
uh, Dinah and I were in the uh, waiting room that day, and Trey uh, was with us. Yeah. And uh, you may have been there. I don't. I probably, huh? Oh, Linda was there all Linda, the way. Yeah, yeah. So we were. We did some praying and and uh, to to bring it through. Well, the guy that that did the surgery is Robert Spessler. He's famous. Yeah. And he came out and told Linda after it says that was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be, and it took a long time to recover. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I I tried to get back into the business probably too soon. Tried to broadcast. I didn't tell the network. I think the network would have fired me just because they wouldn't have trusted me. And I remember I had a guy I was working with by the name of Bill Curry. Do you remember him, the former Alabama-Kentucky coach? He was the center for John Unitas with the Baltimore Colts the year they won it all. Yes. And so I didn't tell anybody but him. And I said, Bill, you're a fellow believer. I want to tell you what I've gone through. I said, if you're uncomfortable with this and you don't trust me, I'll understand and you can move to somebody else. He said, I'll be there for you. Uh, and there was one game in particular where I was struggling. I was tired. I was wearing out. Yeah. He put his arm around me, and he said, you okay, brother? And I said, I'm going to make it. He said, well, if you're not, I'll take over for a few minutes until you can. <laughs> Isn't that interesting that how people step up? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I had forgotten, though, Art, that you yeah. that I had that was the day I spoke there. Wow. I actually thought today should I or shouldn't I? No, it's 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 amazing. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> so when you when you were in the uh, you you did a lot of work around the Olympics. Yeah, and um, you had c- a certain uh, types of of the games that you were broadcasting, right? Uh, y'all, y'all, you spent... Well, the speed skating thing. Can I tell that story? Yeah. You got time? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we have eight minutes. <laughs> no. I'll quickly tell you. But what it was, it was around Dan Jensen. Remember Dan Jensen? I do. He was a premier speed skater, yes. world record holder. Yes. His sister had died of cancer before mm. the start of the Olympics in Calgary. Wow. Indoor arena. First yeah. time we'd ever an indoor skating arena. And my partner was Eric Hyden the all-time speed skater, and he told Dan, you shouldn't skate. You're, you're distracted. You don't have what they call their edge. Yeah. That's a term that you get in speed skating. Yeah. So he, he raced the first race, and he crashed at a world record pace. Didn't finish. week later, he's ready to go again. Prohibitive favor to win the gold. He races again, and Art, he crashes almost the same place oh, no. into the boards. And I remember I said something profound like, oh, no. Yeah. But anyway, Rune Arledge, who was a producer at ABC, says, you've got to interview Dan Jansen. So I got up. I went down. And I started to go down to this interview room. I'd been there for a month. And there's Royal Canadian Mounted Policeman says, you can't come in here. I said, I'm sorry. I'm with ABC. He says, you're not coming in. I tried to step by him. He says, I'm calling for reinforcements. I got the idea to run outside. I went outside the arena, ran through the snow, came around up through the furnace room, was able to circumvent him, got into the interview area, put my earpiece in. Jim McKay said, here's Gary Bender with Dan Jansen. Wow. But it was an out-of-body experience. As I'm running in the snow, I'm saying to myself, Lord, what am I doing? No one knows I'm out here. I may not get back in here, and they're going to wonder what the heck I'm doing. It was an amazing thing for me, 
And the interview was made the best interview I ever had. Both of us were in tears. Yeah, I can imagine uh, the the trauma, right? And uh, well, and he had never really talked to anybody out of deference it. to his sister. Yeah. That was the first time he had talked to anybody. Oh, my gosh! So uh, you were in the Olympics, where you uh, broadcaster becomes newscaster. Well, I didn't. I only yeah. had that one Olympic okay. experience. So okay. I. My experience is this, is that the hardest thing about the Olympics, you're there forever, and all the names, because we had to call every race, and you try to pronounce the names. I've got a story, but I'm not going to tell it, about trying to phonetically figure out how. No, that's another story. But the the funny thing is you had to phonetically try to, you know, get those names down and sound like you know what you're doing. It was a challenge. Wow. So... Well, you know, you know, you're not only a famous broadcaster; you're a historian. <laughs> I'm a historian, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah, what does in, that mean in the sport and in, in, oh, uh, in the broadcast? Because I've been around so long. I'm oh, hit. look, you've done some famous things. Well, I have. In fact, I think that's the thing I'm most proud of. Is not two things. I worked with the best of the best, and two, I was given assignments for earth-shaking events. Things that happened, like the Hail Mary Pass, yes. and how it affected everyone I got to know. When I got to know Tom Landry later, we had talked wow. about that. I got to talk to Unitas about the 1958 game when they won in overtime against the Giants. It just, what it did is it would well, spin off a lot of things. Were you? 10 years old. 58. Were you really? Yeah. <laughs> Are you bragging or complaining? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still here. <laughs> I tell you, I saw that game in '58. I just read a book about it, and I, and Unitas was just superb. You know, he pulled it all off. Johnny Unitas, um, he may have been one of the toughest guys I've ever known. Mm-hmm. I've got a story about him, but I don't want to get. I, I know we're limited on time. I know, and I'm so sorry. <laughs> but uh, but I I grew up uh, in Northeast Ohio in Akron, Ohio. And as a little boy, there's two things I, that my uncles and dad and everybody, there's two things about sports you need to know, Browns and Buckeyes. Oh, yeah. And to this day, I'm a, I'm, I follow them both. You know, Woody Hayes threw me out of his practice one time. Oh, jeez. I was getting ready to do the Ohio State-Michigan game. I called ahead, talked to Steve Snap, the sports information director. We walk in to watch practice, and here he comes running at us with his hat in his hand. And I said, Stamp, what's wrong? I don't know. And he said, throw this CBS guy out of here. I don't want him watching our practice. We went in. That's good. And, and I said to Steve, I said, what happened? He said, I don't know. So Woody came in, apologized, said, I just wanted you to know that I was doing that to impress my team. And it did. <laughs> and I was dumbfounded. <laughs> I found out later he would take his hat, Art, and take a razor, and on the seams of the hat, he would he would weaken the, the those seams. So if he got mad at the team, he could shred his hat in front of the team. Oh, geez. <laughs> Hey, uh, we have about a minute and a half left or so, two minutes. I don't know. Jeremy, where are we? Three minutes. Okay. Um, I'd be lost without Jeremy. <laughs> so, uh, gosh, I, you know, I grew up in that era. I knew all of the – matter of fact, I was having this discussion just uh, the other day when the Ravens were playing, mm-hmm. and I said, you know, that I remember Johnny U. 
before they moved to Baltimore. That's right. You know, I, I didn't know him, but I knew the teams and all that stuff. The overnight luggage crash, right? <laughs> the the move for overnight. And then and then Art Modell pulled the same thing. Yeah, yeah. With the Browns. It's confusing. You try to figure <laughs> out where the Rams were and where the, <laughs> the Colts were, all those changes. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, this is so great. And, and, and maybe we can sit down over a coffee one day with our, with our brides and just, just have fun. Um, you uh, are the epitome of someone should grow up to be if they want to be a sportscaster. What do you tell students today? Well, it's in my book a little bit, The Call of the Game, about why you should be in it or why you shouldn't. A lot of people go into the business for the wrong reason. I had total tunnel vision. Did you, Art? I mean, there's nothing else I could have done. Yeah. I could have sold shoes maybe yeah. or do something, yeah. but I never had anything I ever wanted to do. You have to have that kind of desire. You've got to want it worse than anybody else. Yes. I think the business is harder today. When I went in, there were Very only different. three networks. There was no ESPN. Yeah. And so what I tell kids is, are you one of these guys that's constantly aware of billboards? Do you see people doing certain things? Do you register things that you say to yourself, boy, I could describe that very well. And that's kind of a test for Yeah, you. it is. Oh, man. I, all I have to say is, Gary, thank you. And you are a rescuer of many kinds. And thank you for being and God bless you for being on the show. Thank you, Art. Thank you. Rescuers, Thursdays at 5.30 Arizona time on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ AM. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.